Hello and welcome to another episode of the Get Italian Football News podcast. I'm your host, Sam Brooks. Today I'm joined by Francesco Amesbury. How are you doing, Francesco? I'm good, thanks, Sam. Good to be here. Excellent to have you on. How are you doing, Raphael Jacobin? All good, thanks. All good. Excellent. And James Brook. How are you doing, James? Yeah, good. Thanks, Sam. Nice to see you all. It's uh, The sun's finally caught us up here in the north, so it's a nice, nice sunny day again. Yeah, been lovely weather last couple of days. Um, we weren't actually planning to do a podcast this week. I was thinking, end of the season, let's have a week off. And then Syria went a bit mad this past week. So um, we've decided to reconvene. So we're going to start with the champions. And uh, with Inter, their title celebrations lasted all of about three days. Uh, Antonio Conte walking out last Tuesday. The, the reason that we're led to believe is that he wasn't going to be given many fun, much funds this summer. Uh, and the Inter are looking to sell about 80 million euros worth of players. What do you make of the whole situation at Inter, Francesco? I think uh, it's disappointing what what Conte has chosen to do. I think it is fairly typical of him. If you look at his uh, career so far, whenever he feels he's not going to get his own way, especially in the transfer market, he tends to just leave. And that's what's happened again. Um, I feel like he still had uh, a year left on his contracts, you know, a massive contract where he's getting paid way more than any other manager in the league. Um, and even if, I mean, we're led to believe that Inter are going to lose a couple of players, even if they do lose a couple of players, I feel like at the start of next season, there's a good chance that Inter are going to be in a position where they can challenge for the league. They might not be the favourites, but I feel they'll, they'll be, they could be in the mix. And there's certainly scope to improve on their performance last year in Europe. Um, even even losing a couple of players, I feel like they can, you know, they could definitely kind of challenge to be to get out of the group stages. And once you're out of the group stages, you don't know what's going to happen. So I think it is disappointing that he's chosen to leave. I also think feel like Inter have not handled it particularly well. Um, you know, it's not a, it's not a great look that a team that is struggling for money is going to pay someone who wants to leave seven and a half million euros. Um, I mean, people are saying it's because they don't want to pay him the full 13 or whatever it is, and they'll save some money that way. But yeah, I don't fully understand that decision, to be honest with you. Um, yeah, I don't know what the other guys think. I think the main criticism has been levelled at uh, at Sunning, the owners. Um, Raphael, do you want to come in? Because does Conte have himself to blame in any way? With Maybe, you know, obviously they spent a lot of money last summer and quite a few of the players they brought in actually haven't played that big a role. I'm thinking some of the older players like Kolarov and, you know, um, maybe Vidal played a big part in the first half of the season, but less so in the second. But they're on big wages. So should he take any blame for that, do you think? I don't think he's completely to blame in the sense that um, if you look at the sort of the bigger picture, Suning, they're in massive financial trouble. They had to, I think mean, the club that they own in China had to fold, um, even though they, they, they just won the league last season because of their financial issues and because of the, um, I think it's the, uh, the restrictions on, the, on foreign spending that the uh, Chinese state has put on, put on companies. And obviously you've got, COVID-19 and all the sort of the financial ramifications of that. So I think, um, yeah, on a, on a bigger scale, I think there was always going to be, a, you know, some sort of downsizing at, at Inter. And, you know, I think the scale of it 
hadn't become apparent to Conte until until a few months ago, I'm guessing, because we, we keep hearing about these you know these speeches that um, the the Stephen Zhang is giving to the uh, to the players and to the and to the staff about how much they need to make an effort for the club and you know, take all these um take all these financial hits. You know, I think it was foregoing two months of salary um, a few weeks ago, and. I mean, t- to be fair to Conte, I think in that in that kind of environment where you know they're constantly cutting costs and they're constantly you know getting into more and more debt, I think it's not it's not an ideal you know an ideal environment to work in. And the fact that he is going to lose so many, well, he's going to lose I think at least two big players potentially, and you know not bringing them out. Simply, I think they need to they need. A hundred million of, of profit over the summer, um, according to according to the reports. So realistically, it's a project that's that's on the decline. I think whether he stayed or not, you know, they weren't going to get this um, you know, this sort of dynasty that they were hoping for out of Conte because he would have either had to work with a lot less of a squad than he than he had this season or or leave. So ultimately, yeah, I, I think this is the best case scenario for everyone I think Conte leaves with his if his head held high you know, he comes out a winner with uh, with the Scudetto and he, and um, I think Suning they get to they get to cut costs massively and bring in an equally well maybe not equally but a very good manager in Simone Inzaghi anyway yeah I think uh, that that's that's uh, that's what it's looking like Simone Inzaghi gonna uh, be Inter's manager next year. Obviously, done an excellent job at Lazio uh, over the last few years. Um, James, as we've touched on, it looks like Inter are going to have to sell some players this summer. Um, usually with these scenarios, we then talk about who are the untouchables, who are those players that they simply cannot afford to sell. For you, are, are there players that you think Inter must keep hold of this summer? It's difficult, isn't it? Because the the ones that you you feel you must keep hold of, those players that are, that are most important to them, are the most saleable assets. They're the ones which are going to get you the most money quickest. And um, so I think the two the two players really who who it seems that are, are most readily on the market are probably for me the two maybe not the most important players, but certainly two of the most influential players. And that's obviously Lukaku, who who we debated about last week. And I'm sure Francesca was was a bit gutted that he he did get the MVP in the end. Um, <laughs> commiserations to, to Frank Kessie, obviously, a close second. But no, Lukaku obviously is, is one that's been mooted um, for a long time, that the, the City are wanting to come in for him, that he's being offered around uh, Chelsea are in the conversation. And then obviously Hakimi is the other one who, who it looks like like um, PSG are, are in, I don't know how far the talks are in that, but it looks like that's his most likely destination. And um, that looks like kind of 80 million euros. So you talk about what Raf's saying there, kind of 100 million, 150 million you need to raise. That's a massive chunk of that already. So I think that's that's the way to do it, unfortunately, rather than decimating the whole squad and selling off six, seven players. I think unfortunately you have to look at who who are the most saleable assets that seems to be where they are at the moment which is a really dire situation to be in and for the fans it's so disappointing having waited so long to get to a point where they've got a title winning squad and some really good players um to have to just have to let them go so soon but it looks like Hakimi and Lukaku whether there'll be any takers for them the market's 
obviously the way we've seen it, it's slightly depressed. Um, nobody wants to come in for the big signings this window, probably. So maybe they'll have to be a bit more creative. But those two would be, for me, untouchable. But it looks like they're the two that are going to be um, making up the brunt of that debt. Yeah, of course, we saw how Lukaku and Conte had an excellent relationship over their couple of years together. So it does seem to increase the possibility he could move on. But um, we're going to sort of link in Inter and Lazio now because, Francesco, it seems Simone Inzaghi is going to take over at Inter. It's been confirmed he's leaving Lazio. So what do you sort of make of that appointment for Inter? Do you think it's a good appointment for them? And how big a loss is he for Lazio? I think in the circumstances, it is. It seems like a, a reasonable appointment. I think in theory, it's, it's a good idea. I think the main reason for that is the fact that Simon Inzaghi plays a, a similar um, formation, if not exactly the same style as Conte. And like we've just said, there's there's not going to be much money to spend in the transfer market. So, you know, for a while, it looked like they might... Uh, talk to Mauricio Sadi about joining. I think if you bring in someone like Sadi, you're going to have to change the way the team plays and possibly bring in new players and, and Inter can't do that at the moment. With Inzaghi, you, I don't think they're going to need to do that. It's going to be, he's going to have a team of players that, that should be able to, you know, interpret football the way he wants to. And I think from that point of view, it is, it is a reasonable appointment. Um, I think, you know, the, you know, looking at the reaction, not everyone is on board with it. I don't, I don't think the Inter fans are thrilled by it. But I, I think something you can say about Inzaghi is over the last kind of two or three years, he's probably been one of the best managers in the league in terms of getting his team to perform. I think Lazio have overachieved over the last three seasons. You know, getting to the Champions League for them was a big deal. They managed to get out of the group this year in Europe, you know, beating a, a, beating a team like Borussia Dortmund. And Lazio's squad are kind of, I'd say, the seventh best in Serie A. And he, he's consistently achieved better than that. So I hope that he can, you know, that I, get, I guess the biggest worry for Inter is the players aren't going to be on board with him. That people like Lukaku and Lautaro Martinez, whoever, whoever stays, might not follow him in the same way that they follow Conte. I think that that is a concern. But if they get on board with his ideas, then Inzaghi showed that he's a smart manager who plays some interesting football. And there's no reason to believe that he wouldn't be able to make Inter at least competitive next year. Yeah, I think in, I absolutely agree with Francesco. I think Inzaghi doesn't seem like a, a particularly glamorous option um, for Inter. Obviously, when you've just won the league, you want to kick on and it does feel like they're, they're having to settle a little bit, um, especially if someone, for example, like Mourinho was available. Obviously, we know such high regard he's held um, in Milan. But it's obviously, it's a little bit of a cheap option, let's be honest. I think that's that's a lot to do with it. But the thing with Inzaghi is he really has earned this, this chance to take over one of the top, top teams. And it's a little bit unfortunate for him that it's in the circumstances that it is, in that he might not be given a fair crack of the whip. He might have to, obviously, he'll have to deal with a little bit of turmoil behind the scenes. He might have to, he won't be able to have one or two of his 
what would be his key players available. He'll have to deal with those relationships maybe breaking down a little bit. And that's a real, real shame because he obviously is a good quality manager. He's won trophies. Um, the Lazio fans adore him. So he's, he's earned that opportunity. And it just feels a little bit of a shame that he might not get a full crack of the whip. But then again, it's, it's a, for me, it's almost a win-win situation. Inter get a kind of a cheaper option. Somebody who, who will be happy to come in for a little bit less money and will be happy to work under the circumstances that he is working. And also he is a good coach. And it might be that he then... It's, it's kind of a blessing in disguise in a way, Conte leaving, that it gives Inzaghi that platform at a top club to go and prove himself that he can be one of the top managers in the country. Um, so it might turn out to be a, a really, really incredible appointment at the end of the day. I know Lazio fans, the reaction from them to lose him, it says a lot about a manager when you when you look at the reaction of the fans and they've obviously been gutted. Um, so I think it could turn out to be a really smart appointment, but my fear is that he isn't given that time um, and he isn't given the right tools to, to properly Properly give it a good go. Well, of course, in, in Zaghi has won, uh, I think, won three cups at, uh, at Lazio, Coppa of Super Coppa Italianas and, and a Coppa Italia. Um, but he has now left Lazio. Uh, Raphael, they released, uh, I think it was a 32-word statement last week announcing his departure where they didn't even mention his name. Um, what did you make of that and, and the way that he leaves Lazio? And then looking ahead, it seems that Maurizio Sarri is the favourite to take over at Lazio. Going back to what Francesco said, he's got a very different style to Inzaghi in that he'd probably want to play a 4-3-3. Uh, Inzaghi would typically play a 3-5-2. Could you see it taking quite a while for Lazio to adapt to his style or, or do you see that as a positive appointment for them? Yeah, I mean, talking about Inzaghi's departure it did come as quite a surprise because I think the reports were that um, I think the day that Conte left uh, left Inter there was a meeting between uh, Inzaghi and, and Lotito the, the Lazio president and then in the evening you had reports saying that they'd come to an agreement over a, over a contract extension and that you know, everything was fine and then in the morning afterwards suddenly everything had broken down and Inzaghi was on his way to Inter so that was a that was quite a surprise. I'm not sure what what triggered that sort of change of decision, but clearly Inzaghi was uh, was won over by the Inter project. And um, but yeah, I think Sarri is probably the best option option they could hope for. Really, um, I think yeah, there is that there is the aspect where he will he will change the change up their tactics a bit. But at the same time, I think it's quite um quite a shrewd appointment because. Sari is that um, is a manager who can handle um, can handle these personalities, who can handle these big players in the squad, like Immobile, like Milinkovic Savic, who might be tempted to move away because Inzaghi's left. I think the you know the pull of playing under under Sari and playing under this new potentially even more attractive football is will probably be a you know be a reason for them to stay. So. I think it goes both ways in the sense that they will it will take time for them to adapt. But I think the benefits of you know of hiring a guy like Sadi who knows who knows how to get his team playing playing good good football, even though even if it didn't quite work out at Juventus, I think Lazio is a club that at, you know is at the level where he'll be able to impose himself and you know instill his ideas on the players. So yeah, I, I think. They could do a lot worse than uh, than say. 
The other thing I'd say about, for me personally, I, I don't think you can blame Inzaghi at all for, for leaving. I think Lotito's had, for, for, to start with, Inzaghi's given everything to Lazio. You know, you can see how much he's cared and he's done a great job with them. But also Lotito's had a long time to offer him a contract. I think Inzaghi would have been happy to sign even earlier on in this season if, if he'd have made the offer, actual offer and sorted it out. And that never happened. And also, I think I've said it before this year, Inzaghi's basically taken Lazio as high as they can go in, the, in their current circumstances because Lotito is never going to spend a lot of money on this team. In fact, the chances are he's going to lose some of those important players. There's more chance that Lazio will have a weaker squad going forwards than a stronger one because I just don't see Lotito investing money in that team. And so Inzaghi's done everything he can with them. He's been, he's, this opportunity has appeared for him to, to possibly go on to a team where he may be able to challenge for trophies in the future. Something that I know that he's managed to win the Coppa Italia and the Supercoppa with Lazio, but in terms of winning the Scudetto and, and actually challenging in Europe, I just don't think Lazio have that capability at the moment. Whereas with Inter, even though they have some problems at the moment, I think in theory, in the not-too-distant future, there is a chance that he can challenge for trophies with that team. So I think it is a step up for him, and I just don't blame him at all for, for leaving. I hope that Inter give him time, because I don't want there to be another situation that you had after Inter won the, the Triplete in 2010, where Mourinho left, and then for the next kind of three or four seasons, they just went through managers... Every, every two or three months they change manager and it just didn't work at all they need that continuity they've given him a three-year contract I think that's a good thing and I hope even if next season is, is, is not massively successful for them they give him time to, to you know to, to show what he can do I think that's, that's going to be important that, that they have some continuity because they have I feel like Inter's project has taken off they're, in a, they're not in a terrible situation even if they lose a couple of big important players they're not in a terrible situation they're way better than they were kind of three or four years ago when Suning took over so I think there is a chance for them to, to stay competitive in Serie A and to do something in Europe if they give themselves that continuity yeah, I mean, that's what I mean about Inzaghi hopefully being given the, the tools to see the whole job through as well, because it, there is a, like Francesco says, there is a project there, something that, that isn't finished yet. Um, but, but just on Sari, I think it will definitely soften the blow for Lazio fans if, I mean, it hasn't been confirmed at all, if it is Sari. Um, that Because like Francesco says as well, that, that's it was kind of as far as Inzaghi could take them, that was kind of done that won uh, the silverware that that won uh, that got as far as they can really in Europe so I mean usually for Lazio or for loads of teams really in in a of a similar standing when you have such a kind of an iconic coach really someone who's been so successful for you the only way is down so then to bring in someone like Sarri is a is a massive boost for them and it shows that their project is one that that has legs as well. It isn't something that has come to an end. Players like Milinkovic, Savic, Savic uh, Immobile, like you mentioned, will be really raring to go again with somebody like Sari coming in. It's a, a massive boost for them and I think it will stand them good in really good stead looking into the next season as well. They, they can even, um, what a project where you would say it might be on the way, losing the, the figurehead of it, it might go on to the next level when you bring in someone of, of Sadi's quality. Yeah, I think everyone's fascinated to see how that will go uh, with, with Inzaghi having been there the last five years, uh, a fresh approach could go one of two ways really. So we, we'll see on that. Um, but now we're going to move on to Juventus. It's taken us about 20 minutes to get on to Juventus. But, um, 
yeah, big news coming out of there. Pirlo has gone after just one season in charge and he's been replaced by uh, Massimiliano Allegri, who returns to Juve. What, what do you make of this, Francesco? I'll come to you first on this. Um, I think um, I think it's a good appointment. Um, I I personally would have liked to have seen Pirlo carry on because I feel like even though he didn't have the best season in the league, he still managed to pick up a couple of trophies. And I think there were we've seen enough to to see that he's got some good ideas. I think they're still quite this. They've got some really good young players in that squad, and I would like to see what Pirlo could have done with them. But Allegri. You know, I consider him one of the best managers in Europe. He's also, I'd say, one of his best skills. He's very adaptable. He's very good at working with what he has. And I think, um, you know, that's going to that's gonna work out well for Juve because they, they've picked up... I think they have got a squad with real quality in it. It's just Pirlo wasn't able to get the best out of them. And I feel like Allegri, one of the things he can do is put players in the right position. You know, he hasn't really got a favoured formation or not one that he's so attached to that he's going to compromise the way players are able to perform. So I feel like that's going to leave Juve in a, in a good position. Um, and yeah, I've, I feel like that appointment probably makes Juve the favourites for the Scudetto next season. Right, like a big shout there. Um, Raphael, um, coming on to Allegri, obviously he had a previous stint in charge of about five years. I think the feeling is that after that 2017 Champions League final, where they sort of collapsed in the second half against Real, things maybe went a little bit stale in that last couple of years at Juve. And, you know, they sort of stuttered their way to a couple of Scudettos, didn't do anything in Europe, really. Do you think that the couple of years out will have helped Allegri sort of reevaluate where they sort of came up a little bit short in Europe last time and, and will allow them to kick on again? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it'll, it'll probably take a bit of time to sort of get his, um, get his ideas back across because it's, there has been a lot of turnover in terms of, um, in terms of the players. But, I mean, ultimately, it is, it is his pragmatic start that, you know, that's, that's got Juventus the results that they, uh, that they were getting over the last decade. I think Pirlo, Pirlo hasn't, hasn't necessarily been bad. I think, um, I think at the start of the season, a lot of people feared the worst when, you know, he, is, he was a, a novice manager. He hadn't, he had no experience before. I think um, when the, um, his dissertation, when he, uh, for his coaching badges came out, you had lines like, um, the objective of defending is to not concede goals, stuff like that, which, you know, a lot of people yeah. were quite apprehensive when they, when they, when they read that. For you know, does this guy really have any any clear ideas? But I think I think he's shown that he is, you know, he has got he has got some good ideas, and he's kind of pragmatic, and he does try to he does try to play well as well. So, you know, obviously, you've, you know, Juventus was a, a step too far for uh, for a first experience. I think I've seen I've seen him linked to Sassuolo, maybe taking over the uh, taking over from De Zerbi, which. Might be an interesting, uh, an interesting appointment, and probably more, more to his level in terms of, um, in terms of the stature of club that he should be starting with. So that would be, that would be a good appointment. But, um, but going, yeah, going back to Juventus, I think I, I would agree that you know that the Allegri, Allegri coming back makes them, makes them Scudetto favourites. Even if I would expect some, some, maybe some teething problems to, to start with, and 
it depends on the squad that you do have at the end of the transfer window because you know you've seen different um we've seen different rumors of uh you know maybe him not wanting to work with Ronaldo. We already know that um Chiellini's extended his contract because because of Allegri uh, Allegri's return. So we you know we already know yeah he is good. he is going to have a a big say on what what his squad will look like. But I think ultimately yeah, ultimately, it does make him make him the favourites, whatever whatever the squad they end up with. Yeah, just looking at uh, what sort of squad he might end up with next season, and uh, I saw a list of the sort of players he wants to be working with, and we saw some youngsters on that list uh, with Delict, um, with Kulusevski, with Chiesa. We saw some of some veterans with Chiellini on that list, and Dybala was there as well. James, um, in Allegri's sort of final season, Dybala was not used so much, was used a bit out of position playing on the right wing. Are you a bit surprised to see him on that list of someone that Allegri really wants to work with next season? Or do you think it's a clear step that maybe he's choosing the likes of Dybala and Morata over Ronaldo coming back into his second reign at the club? Uh, I don't know, really. I think Dybala is a funny one because he always seems to be that player who's who's there if you need him. You know, he's a kind of a luxury player to have and he'll be brilliant for you when you use him but nobody really seems to want to properly I know he's had his injury problems but if I was Dybala I would be 100% looking to move on whether Max Allegri says he wants to use him or not I'd be looking to move I must admit I'm really disappointed about um, Mr Cheerful coming back as his name translates to um, I know a lot of people were chomping at the bit to see him come, come back but I'm really disappointed actually I I think it's a, a quite an unambitious move by both the club and uh, Mr Allegri himself. I think he, he he could have joined any team in Europe and there's been plenty of vacancies over the last couple of years. And it's just very disappointing. And, and I think I feel that way, just like the other guys have said, it makes, for me, Juventus massive favourites for the Scudetto. I don't think anybody can can challenge them. Inter will... I think Inzaghi will do a good job, but it'll take them a, a couple of years possibly to, to get to a position where they were last season. Uh, Milan still aren't there for me. Um, and that's probably why I feel that way, Justin. I think it will turn the league into a, a little bit of a, a parade again. Um, and I would have liked to see Pirlo uh, given more time. I really would have done. I think when, you hide, when they hide him at the start of the season, if you look at the objectives, what he actually delivered, what what else did they want? That, that for me is is what... As good as he could have got, as good as he could have got, um, and when you when you go into a project like that, you've got to commit to the project. And okay, if it's not working, you can turn around and, and say, um, "Well, we need to get revert back to." And that takes uh, balls as well to say that it's not working and to just to revert back to what you were doing. But for me, there were, like Francesco said, there were clear signs that he he was trying to build something, and and he did have a plan to. Uh, once he got through those first difficult few months, he did have a plan for how to use the squad. And it just, uh, I, I saw it as a little bit of a, an unambitious move. Um, but I think that's probably just because I think it does turn Juve into massive favourites now. Whether they keep Dybala or not, whether they keep Ronaldo or not, um, Allegri knows how to use the players that he's got at his disposal. I'm sure he'll have a plan. Um, he'll have had a plan for months. I know there was meetings going on and they were dismissed by Agnelli as um, just catching up between old friends. But I'm 
sure that there was conversations that um, look, you're coming back next season. I'm sure Allegri has a full plan of what he wants to do. Um, if I was him, of course, I'd keep Dybala in it because he's a wonderful player. But if I was Dybala, I'd be looking and saying, look, are you actually going to use me or are you going to just uh, keep me there just in case, you know? But no, I must admit, disappointment is my overriding uh, feeling of seeing Allegri back, back in Turin. Yeah, I mean, he's had two years out, which I think a lot of people were surprised by. Um, but but yeah, he is back and we're, and we're going to have to see how that one works out. Um, there's, there's set to be eight managerial changes out of the top 10 uh, from last season. But uh, we've already touched on Mourinho to Roma in past episodes and uh, Sampdoria and Sassuolo at the time of recording still haven't replaced uh, their managers. So last one I wanted to touch on really today is... Um, Verona uh, have lost Ivan Juric, who has decided to join Torino. Um, you know, in some ways, this looks like a bit of a strange move, given where the two clubs finished last year. But but what do you think, uh, Francesco, with this one? Um, Juric joining Torino. Bit disappointed that he's, that he's decided to move down the league, or do you just see this as a great appointment for Torino? Um, yeah, no, I'm not, I'm not that disappointed. I feel like Torino are really historic club um i'm i'm hoping that one of the reasons he's gone there is because cairo has said to him you know we are we want to be ambitious and we want to we want to finish in the top half of the league and challenge for europe uh which is probably where torino should be and um i think Jorich has been great for verona i think he's a really interesting character i love how you know he doesn't hold back in press conferences. He just says what he thinks, even if he upsets people. But he also plays this really interesting football that's turned out to be extremely effective. And um, Torino, I think Torino have been one of the most disappointing sides in Serie A in the last couple of seasons. I mean, this season, yeah, they saved themselves, but they've been pretty rubbish all season. I think they're not a very good team to watch and they they needed something. Um and yeah, hopefully he'll be able to build something with Torino and, and maybe, you know, take them back to where they possibly should be because of the stature of that club. Yeah, it looks like an excellent appointment for them after a couple of really disappointing seasons on the trot. Um, Rafael, what do you think it, where do you think it leaves Verona? Um, you know, they came back to Serie A a couple of years ago. They've had a couple of excellent seasons, finishing sort of mid-table and just inside the top half. Um are you a bit worried for them moving into next season? A bit, yeah, because I think a lot of their, you know, pretty much 90% of their success has been down to Juric's tactics. You know, the fact that he has been able to make the most out of what really is a pretty weak squad, uh, even after losing his best players uh, over the summer last season. So, um, yeah, I think ultimately, ultimately it's hard to say you know, just how much of an effect it will have on them because, you know, we don't know what um, who the replacement will be. But at the same time, yeah, I, I think they I think going into next season they'll still have some of the mechanisms of you know the Euro era. I think yeah, no matter no matter who the manager is, but over time I think that those will wear out and yeah, I can see them sliding down the table over the seasons to come because I don't think I don't think any manager can really replicate what Europe has done with that squad. He's certainly done an excellent job uh, and we'll have to see how those two sides uh, pan out next season. 
So in, in getting uh, in talking about Verona and Torino, I actually skipped a couple of teams, uh, which I've been uh, just reminded of. Uh, we're going to talk about Napoli and what's going on there. So when we spoke last, uh, Gattuso, uh, it had been confirmed he was leaving and his replacement has been announced. It's going to be Luciano Spalletti. Coming to you, James, for this one first. Um, what do you make of this appointment? Are you quite excited about Spalletti joining Napoli? Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. It's great to see him back. I think he's just got off the payroll at Inter, hasn't he? I think they've still uh, just about been paying him. I think that's why the that's where all the money's gone. It's on Spalletti's wages for not managing the team. He's been he's been there I think two years since he's been there, but they had to pay him a, a massive amount in a in a payoff. And um, but no, it's it's absolutely great to see him back. I think he's. Um, it's an appointment which is, which is going to set the cat amongst the pigeons in the top six. I think it, it makes them all, all the appointments that we've seen, um, really kind of make each team better. Um, I think Gattuso did an absolutely exceptional job. And I want to speak about him a little bit, bit later on because I think he's deserves that opportunity at Fiorentina. He was always, it felt like he was a little bit of a placeholder at Napoli. He didn't get a full he didn't get a full kind of, he never felt like he was there for, for any kind of substantial amount of time. And I, I'm really looking forward to seeing him being given a, a job where he is fully trusted and can fully kind of get his teeth into it. Um, but I think Spalletti's an upgrade again. I think he's going to make Napoli better. I think the, I've spoken in the past about the attacking options, how good I think they are. Um, I'm getting someone like Spalletti and I know off there you spoke about him being a bit of a nearly man, but he has won trophies as well. Um, and that's what Napoli need. They need some silverware. You know, they've been waiting for, well, I suppose they won the, the Coppa Italia, didn't they, last year? But they, 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 that's what the club is there for, you know. Nobody celebrates uh, title wins like like Napoli. So, yeah, really, another really good appointment. I think all of them that we've seen are going to make the teams that have they've joined better. Yeah, I think uh, everyone's excited to see how this Napoli team will play under Spalletti um, because they've got some excellent players in that squad um, and, and we're desperately unlucky to miss out on the top four in the end. Uh, Raphael, as, as James mentioned, Gattuso has quickly got himself a new job. He's going to take over at Fiorentina. Um, I think a lot of people have been desperately disappointed with how poorly Fiorentina have done the last sort of two or three years. For you, is this, is this a really good appointment for them? Definitely, it's a good appointment because, on, I mean, on the one hand, you know, it's clearly he's proven himself good too. So, and I think a team of the Fiorentina's quality that has been underachieving recently, you know, they they should they should be doing a lot better. And Gattuso has a track record of improving these sorts of teams that are that are underachieving. I mean, when he took over and um, when he took over Napoli from Ancelotti, he got sort of got the house back in order and. Managed to win a trophy. It didn't you know? He narrowly missed out on Champions League football, but I think the improvement, um, the the improvements that Napoli went through are undisputable. And then on the other hand, I quite like the appointment because there is a there is a bit of an entertainment factor. The fact that you've got to get Tuzo and Rocco Camiso at the same club together, I feel like I like Sparks are going to fly eventually. Not maybe not in a bad way, but I feel like having those having those two at the club. You know, two big personalities. You know, it's not. I'm not saying it's the recipe for disaster or anything. It's, it's gonna. It might end up very. Might end up working out really well. But it's gonna be. It's gonna be interesting to see how that how that sort of relationship between them develops. But, but I guess in a way, you know, 
I'd say Gattuso it might be a conduit for um, you know for Comiso sort of get his ideas out onto the, uh, well filter his ideas through onto the pitch to the players that he does want ambition that he does want sort of a light of fire under the players and get them you know get them get them fighting for the club basically so yeah it's it's going to be an interesting season for Fiorentina I think this is sort of the make or break season for uh, for Comiso and his and his overall project for the club because right now he's got the um He's got the whole sort of local press against him now because he went on that run about the how they were they were writing bad things about him, and um, that sort of uh, that sort of soured his relationship with the press, and generally a lot of Fiorentina fans it seems. So yeah, I think this this is going to be the make or break season, and I think Gattuso is the perfect manager to really sort of represent Comiso, if you will, on the on the bench. Yeah, I I agree with Raphael. Actually, I think it's uh, it's a re- I think it's things have worked out well for Fiorentina here. You know, I, I I think a couple of weeks ago I said one of the stupidest stupidest things in Italian football was that Napoli and Gattuso are going to part ways at the end of the season. So I'm not overly happy about that, but I feel like Gattuso going to Fiorentina is a great appointment. You know, Comiso and Gattuso both from Calabria. I think the dynamic between them is going to be really interesting, and. Um, I think what Rafael says about him putting things in order, because for me, Fiorentina this season, the greatest discrepancy between player quality and results on the pitch has been at Fiorentina. They are the biggest underachievers in the league. And I feel like all you need really is someone to put things in order for them to improve massively. They don't even need to make any big signings or anything. They've got a good squad. They've picked picked up some good players last summer and none of them have really performed this season or not to the level that we'd expect. So I feel like just Gattuso being there and putting them in order. And we know that he does tend to get the best out of players or certainly at least get to get them to perform. Um, I think that's going to be a great appointment. Um, and I expect Fiorentina to do much better next season. And uh, in, a, in a similar kind of way, although I would have liked Gattuso to stay at Napoli, I think Spalletti is also a good appointment. I think one of the, one of the big things is that the squad that Napoli, he inherits a very good squad. I feel like this is one of the best Napoli squads in the history of the team. You know, they really are loaded with quality players, but also they are really well suited, I'd say, to Spalletti's kind of football. He plays that kind of formation with those kinds of players. And I think, yeah, they're, they're set up to do well. With the, with the kind of not knowing what's going to happen at Inter and Juve having a new manager, there's going to be opportunity this year and it should be interesting. I think there's a lot of excitement about what Spalletti and Gattuso are going to do next season. So it's going to be fascinating to watch, as we say, almost a complete turnover of managers in Syria over the last week. So um, really exciting season uh, next year, kicking off in August. But um, we're now going to go on to our next part of the show, final part of the show, actually. And we're going to talk about the biggest transfer story of the week. Um, and at this point, I'm going to bring in uh, his Twitter handle is, uh, is is the Euro expert. Uh, so we've got Alex Barker here, um, and he uh, he's he's joined us to talk about um, Milan's big signing. Um, there was a lot of talk about what's going to happen with Donnarumma this past week. Well, they've made up their minds. It seems um, they've decided to sign Lille goalkeeper Mike Menion, I believe that's how you pronounce it, um, for around 15 million euros. Um, what do you make of this signing, Alex? Do you think Milan have got themselves a bit of a gem there? Oh, absolutely. It is a 
bargain. It has to be said. I mean, first of all, I was enjoying that education there about uh, Serie A football and all the different managers. I mean, the only contribution I have about Catuso is uh, I have to get this in uh, reading Pirlo's uh, book and um, how he used to spray Gattuso with fire extinguisher, which is quite a funny image. But yeah, <laughs> Mangion is, I think to me, the bargain of the summer, which I know is going to be a label that gets tossed around a lot, especially with Sumari to um, Leicester. But I, I, I think the best way to summarise it is just that there re- I don't think there is a better option to replace Donnarumma on the right side of 25 than you can, than you can get with Lille's goalkeeper, Mike Mangion. Yeah, so he, he is, as, as you say, I think the main positive that people always talk about with Donnarumma is that he's still only 22, unbelievably. But many on, I, I believe, is 25. Um, and let's just talk about his season with Lille. Obviously, they won League R this year. Um, he kept uh, the record number of clean sheets in the league. So, so what are the strengths that he can bring to a side? That's a good question. So with his strengths, I think, well, we have to tamper... A little of Menon's stats with how Lille plays. So for a bit of background for anyone who hasn't watched Lille too much, they've played a 4-4-2 system throughout the season, which has been quite defensive. So when a team comes to attack, Lille tends to drop back. So Menon, when you look at him, he doesn't look to have like he's... He doesn't... He looks like he stays in his goal, right? Like you look at his heat map or his statistics, he doesn't look like he's a sweeper-keeper like a Neuer. But one of the big positives is that he's really quick off his line which should transition well into uh, Milan, which is one of the better teams, which I haven't watched them too much, but I'm going to assume they play a bit more of a higher line. Uh, and it just it's a transferable quality. Now, Menon in that clean sheets total, for the first part of the season, that was mainly down to the defence. He wasn't actually having to save a lot. But in the second part of the season, he's really outperformed himself. And... I think with the strengths you can get is the, or like a good starting place really is especially with the recent goalkeepers over the years. Like I'm, I'm tending to think of one Serie A goalkeeper, Paul Lopez. Is never I don't think I've seen many goalkeepers who fill me with less confidence. Manuel's a goalkeeper who will not bring any errors. He's a very reliable keeper, and there's only one sort of situation where you can get at him, which I'll go on to when you talk about the weaknesses and things. But if his strengths, he's he's very good at handling. You don't see him spill many shots. You hardly see any long shots go in against him. I wish I had a statistic in front of you, but I don't. He's also pretty good with penalties. He saved six of his 24, which I know isn't amazing, but that's better than someone like Daniel De Gea, although I think that's a forbidden name at the moment. And if you, for the people who like the baseline stats, he's got a 75% save percentage, which is in like the higher echelons of, um, of European goalkeepers. And not to go too deep, too deep into it, because I'm not. I know some people aren't too keen, but for the people who are a fan of expected goals, Menon's saved Lille around five expected goals. So basically, Lille could could have conceded five goals without his quality between the sticks. And with regards to just touching on a, a, another aspect of play, obviously modern goalkeepers nowadays are expected to play out from the back. I think during the early part of his career, that was a criticism of Donnarumma, although he certainly improved that, um, you know, over the last couple of years. I don't know why I'm saying the early part of his career. He's still only 22. <laughs> but, but he started at 16. So in those first couple of teenage years, we say Donnarumma, that was a weakness for him. He got better. What's Menon like in terms of playing out from the back with his feet? Again, this is a little harder to gauge just by looking at the stats, right? Because as I said, Lille played quite a defensive system and 
they're usually quite vertical with their play. They like to counter-attack quickly. So it's not as if they hold the ball often. But Mignon typically is very good with distribution inside his own half. In fact, you rarely see him give it away cheaply or anything like that. I think the only area would be with the, to improve would be his long-range passing. For an example, like you mentioned with Donnarumma, this season he completed 55% of his long balls, whereas Mignon completed about 45%. So there's a little bit of a gap that he does need to increase. But in terms of with the ball at his feet, he's very comfortable. In fact, as a nice little uh, side note, up until he was about eight years old, he was playing as a striker and then he got put in goal. And he, he even he's even joked to his coach at the time that he said, if you hadn't put me in goal, I probably would have been a top level striker. So he's pretty comfortable with the ball at his feet. It's just that long range distribution maybe needs a little bit of work. And you mentioned how um, there, there's one way that you can get at him, sort of one weakness. What, what is that weakness that Milan fans should be looking out for next season? Uh, it's crosses and corners. That's the one bit. Now, I said he's reliable between the sticks, and I do stand by this. This is the one area of his game that even this season, I'd say three or four times, watching Lille, it kind of make your heart skip a bit. Because... I don't know what it is, and I don't know what as a goalkeeper he need, how he needs to change this, but there will be times on corners where the ball will come in and he'll be completely misjudging if he can get to it first. He'll be coming out for the ball as someone leaps in front of him and heads it into the net or on target. That's happened twice this season, and in the last game of the season against Angers, Lille almost conceded via that route. And he has, he has improved at this over the years, so that it isn't just a sticking point, but it's the one point where I'd be very interested to see how he improves on that. Um, like with Milan I want to see if he keeps that going but certainly in the early games look out for the crosses and corners and see how he handles that Hi Alex I just wanted to ask um, is there any chance of him I've seen him for France this summer I know obviously Hugo Lloris is very well established as the France number one but he, he's obviously the future of that position for France is there any is there any danger that we might just see him sneak in front of Loris this summer? Obviously, Deschamps has his favourites, so probably unlikely. I like that question. And it's something that I <laughs> wish kind of happened, uh, James. But as you said, Deschamps is... I mean, we can all quite widely agree, and it's not a criticism. Deschamps is very boring. And that's how he wins France's squads. He doesn't say, I'm going to promote Imeric Laporte. I'm not going to promote all his youngsters. I'm going to stick with the tried and tested and win a World Cup in the Euros. But... You're very right to point out that Manuel has definitely looked at as the future of that position and is a big thing that he's been called up to this squad. And I think with with conversations with other people in French football, I think Manuel might be in contention of really starting, like by Deschamps standards, I think he'll be in contention of having the starting spot by 2022. But I think for this one, he's going to be the first understudy if anything happens to Lloris. Yes, uh, of course, there's a World Cup coming up in 18 months. So it seems, I think Lloris will be about 35 by then. So mm. Mignon could have an excellent chance of starting then. Um, thanks a lot for coming on and, and discussing that, Alex. Really appreciate that. Um, we're now going to touch on the player that he's taking over from, and that's Donnarumma. Um, Raphael, I'll come to you on this. Um, what are your emotions with Donnarumma leaving? You know, Paolo Mardini confirmed last week that he is going to leave later this month, uh, Donnarumma. So are you a bit sad that it's come to this or did, did you expect it? How, how, do you, how do you feel about it? It's a shame, but it was coming from a mile away. The way he's been acting, the way Raiola's been acting the last few years. 
you know, it wasn't, it's, it's not, it's not exactly much of a surprise. And yeah, but it, I mean, it is a shame because, yeah, he's, you know, he started, started Milan at 16. He could have had a, could have been a club legend. It's not, you know, maybe it wasn't to be, but it's, it's interesting to see the, the reports actually about his, uh, his wage. Because apparently his, uh, the offer that he has from Juventus is to earn the same wage as he does right now um, at Milan, even though he he rejected even higher offers from Milan. So, you know, there is a, there is a question of was he really that committed to Milan in the first place? Clearly, the fact that he's leaving right now shows that he wasn't. But if if he's willing to accept a, a lower salary at Juventus, then it really does cast a cast a shadow on his uh, on his commitment to Milan. But yeah, I think. Uh, you know, beyond those sort of financial questions, I think the fact that he is leaving is is, is definitely a shame. It could have been a could have been a dynasty in goal for for Milan. We we already know he's going to be he's going to be the Italy goalkeeper for for a few decades. So, yeah, it's it's a shame that it wasn't it, it wouldn't have been at his uh, his parent club. But you know, I mean, if if it's if it's at Juventus. Uh, it will probably it'll probably last just as long as uh, as long as Buffon's era did really. I think you know Juventus is is the likeliest destination for him, and I but I don't really see him going anywhere outside of Italy right now. I think there's been talks with PSG, but PSG don't you know the, I don't see the logic in PSG signing another goalkeeper when they've got Navas between the sticks, who's who's doing a fantastic job. And there's no, not really any other destination in Europe that's open to him. So it's going to be Juventus, I think. Yeah, that seems the most likely destination at the moment. Uh, Francesco, with um, with Donnarumma, I know when we last talked to you, you were hoping he would stay. Milan obviously secured a top four finish. But I mean, there were rumours that they said, we want you to decide by their final game of the season. And then it seems they sort of called his bluff. It seems that Donnarumma and Raiola sort of that they had time and, and Milan went, no, you've messed us about too much. Do you sort of think fair play to Milan that they stuck to their word and, and weren't willing to be messed about a bit like they were sort of three, four years ago when the same contract issues came up with Donnarumma then? Yeah, I, I do think that fair play to Milan because, you know, what is going on really? That's my reaction to what what is going on in Raiola and Donnarumma's head? Because to me... That last game of the season, when you see Donnarumma coming off the pitch with his teammates, he looks the happiest out of anyone. He looks like he really wants to be there. And now, you know, when they finally qualify for the Champions League and he's going to be able to play in the Champions League with that team, he leaves. It doesn't really make any sense. It feels like they're just doing it for the sake of it. That's what it felt like. It felt like Ayola and Donnarumma were just doing it for the sake of it. Because now they don't seem to have anywhere to go. They, it's not clear where Donnarumma is going to play. It's not clear that anyone is actually interested in him. Um, but what Rafael is saying, I've, I've heard that, yeah, he might be getting paid less. at Juve. If he goes to Juve, he might be getting paid less at Juve than what Milan were offering him, which to me seems crazy. Why would he do that? Um, it, it just doesn't make any sense. In the end, if if he is, you know, I, I hope that he stays in the league. So I wouldn't, I, I think it seems crazy that he go to Juve from Milan. I think the Milan fans are going to be broken hearted if that happens. But if the only option of for Donnarumma to stay in the league is for him to go to Juve, then I hope that happens as well. But it just does she, seem a real shame that he's leaving Milan when they finally qualify for the Champions League. 
And, you know, to answer your question, I think Maldini, Maldini and Milan did the right thing. I, because it's not the first time this has happened and there's nothing to say that in a couple of years it's not going to happen again. Just to chip in a bit here with Donnarumma, because this is Raphael um, saying about um, where he could go. And I, I agree, there's no, I don't see him going to PSG yet because Navas has still got a lockdown. I don't think anyone in the Premier League needs him. Just one thing. I mean, I'm not sure you guys with the experts, obviously, you'll see the rumours, but Manuel Neuer is 35 now and Bayern haven't actually got a solid replacement. And they've got Alexander Newball, but he's barely been played and he came off a horrible season with Schalke. Could Bayern, I mean, they know what they're doing with free agents. Is it out of the realms of possibility they, they contact Raiola and go with Donnarumma? I, I haven't heard Bayern linked, really. I've heard more. There's been Juve as the front runners. There's been Manu and Chelsea. Uh, although I, I think I don't think there's any chance Chelsea will go for him now, really, because I think Mendy has proven himself. You know, United is an option because I don't think they're completely convinced by De Gea or Henderson right now. Um, but yeah, Bayern, that, that is an interesting one. And, and the other thing with, you know, PSG could be in the running is, you know, we, we sort of ruled them out. But and, and Navas is doing an excellent job, but he is comfortably into his 30s now. And with Donnarumma, you're looking at a keeper who, who will be around for 12, 15 more years, probably. Uh, what, what do you think, James? I was just going to say, I mean, it, we've seen various situations with free agents over the last kind of year or so. Obviously, it's been a, a strange year for transfers. Uh, Daniel Sturridge comes to mind as somebody who who still hasn't found the club. He's still a free agent. Nobody's signed him yet. And how satisfying would it be if Raiola couldn't find a club for Donnarumma? It would be <laughs> so good. Um, and he just has to sit on his hands and uh, and wait. And you know, he'll become he'll be offering up to everybody. I'm sure. But yeah, the wages that he wants, the, the way the way that clubs are at the moment, all the usual suspects can't really afford him. Uh, Bayern's an interesting shout, and you could see that happening. But Neuer's still got at least two or three years in him for me. So maybe Donnarumma's going to have to sit and wait for two or three years and uh, twiddle his thumbs and, and just wait until until Neuer gives up the ghost. I don't know. It would be so satisfying um, to see that, but I'm sure somebody will will uh, pick him up, won't they? Probably Juventus. It looks like Juventus, doesn't it? Which would be incredibly harsh on, on, on Szczesny. I know we've spoken about him in the past. Um, I personally of the opinion that he can be upgraded on Szczesny. Um, I know that Francesco in particular has a, another opinion, um, but I it would be a shame for him because he's always had to sit and watch Buffon um, come and go and play some uh, finals and things like that. So it would be a shame for him. He'd feel for him a bit, but it's, um, Allegri's a, a, a bit of a ruthless individual in, in terms of transfers. And yeah, it's, it looks like one that will happen, but I would love it if he, um, if he couldn't find a club. The only thing I'd like to add as well, those teams that we've mentioned, those keepers we've mentioned, for me, Donnarumma is better than 95% of those keepers already. And in two years' time, he will be better than all of them. So for me, he starts for nearly every team in the world. The reason he hasn't found a place to play yet is for money reasons. But if he goes to Man City or Man United or Liverpool or any of those teams, ah. you might disagree, James, but for me, he's already better than those keepers He's not. He's not better than Allison. It's my opinion, James. <laughs> he's up, he, to, to be fair, he's he's up he's, there. I mean, as much of a joke yeah. as the Serie A awards were, he was he he won the best goalkeeper, and I don't think anyone could argue with that. 
and and what I'm saying, Jay, you, you know, you, there's a conversation to be had. You're right. I'm not of saying course, that. Of course there is. But 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 in two years' time, he probably is better than all of those keepers. Yeah. And so if you if you say to you know anyone, is it a good investment? It probably is. But with the way football is at the moment, with the with the pandemic and all that stuff, and how teams haven't got that much liquidity, it's it's finding someone who's prepared to pay ten million plus euros for a keeper where they already have a very good keeper. Well, I'm sure he will find a club. Um, I don't think he will be the next Daniel Sturridge, unfortunately for you, James. But we'll see. Um, but thanks a lot for joining me, guys. Francesco, James, Raphael, and of course, Alex. Been a really fun episode. Uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. We're going to do a bit of a Euro special next week. So be sure to check that one out. Um, and we'll catch you guys soon. All right. Bye-bye.